It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Virtualization and Cloud Security Podcast, um, video podcast episode number 14 or so, and episode 163, I believe, of our standard podcast of Virtualization Security Roundtable. I'm here this time with the winner of the last Innovation Sandbox at RSA Conference 2016, Oliver Friedrichs, who is the CEO of Phantom. Welcome, Borden. Thanks, Edward. I appreciate you having me now, brief thing, give us, um, do you want to give us a three-minute pitch on Phantom? <laughs> well, Phantom is uh, one of the first purpose-built security automation and orchestration platforms. You know, if you think about it, at uh, RSA, we had 551 vendors out on the showroom floor, and every one of those products believed that they're the solution to solving today's security problems. So the large enterprise today is dealing with over 50 individual discrete security products and a whole room full of people just to manage them. Uh, this is one of the biggest problems that we see in the enterprise today is you've got all of these products, they're all discrete individual products and they don't, they don't work together. So what we've done here at Phantom is we're basically abstracting away the APIs from all of these individual products and allowing you to orchestrate your security environment from one central place through the Phantom platform. And what we're able to do in delivering that is really offer up to a, a 90 plus percent improvement on performance times when it comes to security operations. Because if you think about it, the large enterprise, the security operations center, you've got teams of people who are doing a lot of things manually every single day that are ripe for automation. And we really haven't seen automation play a big role in security over the last uh, couple of decades. No, we haven't. We've seen it everywhere else but not yeah, we, really in security. That's right. We've seen it in, you know, in, in uh, marketing and finance, HR, Salesforce automation, but really not in security. And the funny thing is, is, is that in order to do automation, you have to trust that automation. And maybe there's a lot of mistrust about automation from the security teams. They don't want to over automate and have automation go awry because they could shut things down fairly easily. Right. That's always a concern. You know, I think, I think there's definitely some fear around automation, but it's all about having uh, the human stay in control. So you can do automation by having people in the loop, on the loop, or out of the loop. And in many cases, we're not talking about removing them from the loop entirely, right? We're, we're still giving them that ability to actually decide whether certain things should take place or should happen. But what we're doing is we're from a very tactical standpoint, still executing these complex scenarios across the environment, which still improves performance significantly versus if you were literally to go and log into a dozen or two dozen different security products in your environment today to, to do basic security investigation or forensics or containment, you know, that, that could take hours, right? And that's um, where we're, mm -hmm. we're at a big disadvantage today. And think about in the hybrid cloud, I mean, just think about this, 
the, the, the standard firewall on-prem, I may be using one version and another cloud, one cloud I may be using a second. Any number of these hybrid clouds, I could have a dozen different firewalls that need a dozen different commands to issue the exact same rule. That's right. So a tool that automate just even makes that easier, makes my life easier, and a tool that would actually look at all that and then say, what well, these are, you got like a lot of duplicate rules, let's clean them up. That would be very interesting as well. Absolutely. And firewalls are just one of, you know, 20 or 30 other different products that the large enterprise has now. Right. So if you... the, it's not even the large enterprise today. It's the mid cap. I mean, this is we have where you have set in a team of people. The mid cap folks are a bunch of people that may not even have the, the security chops, but need to pull all those things in integration together. Let's not think let's just not ignore them. Agreed. Yeah, it certainly doesn't apply only to the large enterprise, I think. I think it's an even bigger problem as you go to the mid enterprise and small, you know, small business, right? You don't have the talent, you don't have the people, and you still have the same security problem, right? That everyone else does. Exactly, and you either have to hire the talent or consult with the talent. And to be honest, that's extremely expensive. Or you use a managed service provider, but I mean, managed security provider. But at the same time, you're ultimately responsible from a compliance perspective, which means you need to be in control. That's right. No matter how you look at it, somebody's going to have to be in control from the organization. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you can't ignore alerts. You know, we we surveyed just over a hundred companies, and we found that seventy five percent of them admitted to ignoring security alerts, routinely yeah. ignoring them, which means that they're they're never going to get looked at. And and just one of those alerts could be your next breach, right? So you can't ignore these things. No, you can't. And now. That three-minute pitch you gave us, you did only about two and a half minutes there, but you had a lot of work help help with that, right, when you put it together? Uh, how did the, the Innovation Sandbox, how does this work for people that are thinking about it for the future? Yeah, so we basically what the RSA conference does and, and the, ten, the the judges, there are five judges who narrow the, the, uh, the, the companies down to the 10 who they believe are, are the most innovative. Uh, once you're selected, you know you attend the the competition where where basically you're now competing against the nine other companies that are in the running uh, for the final you know for the final spot, and you each get a three minute pitch uh, in front of a, a standing room only crowd. It's it's roughly 500 people, oh, maybe 600 it, people. I think it was more than that this year. <laughs> big big room full of people. Yeah, and uh, and frankly, you know you, you need to be prepared. Right. It's it, it, it's not one of those situations where you can go up there and wing it. You need to rehearse. You need to practice. And, and even though it sounds simple, a three minute presentation is infinitely harder than if you gave me 60 minutes standing in front of a big room where you have the time to correct yourself. Right. You can't you can't even say one wrong word or else you're losing valuable time and, and part of your message. So. So I think it all comes down to preparation, right? And 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 the other companies were all very well prepared too. Uh, certainly, you know, very high quality competitors up there, uh, you know, competing as well. And and they were all there for a reason, right? Yes. It, it would have been anyone, you know, any one of them could have taken home the prize. Well, I believe you actually had some help in preparing this three-minute message as well. It wasn't just you guys alone. Uh, yeah, the RSA conference helps. You know, they you, you get to practice a couple of times, 
and uh, and and the team and my my wife probably heard the presentation about fifty times, as well. So I, I always said if, if I got hit by a bus, she could actually do it for me, as well. So a lot of preparation to give that pitch for three minutes, and they, the That's RSA right. conference helps. And once they got the final ten, is is there anything else that they help with, or are you really on your own? Uh, you know, once you're up there, you're on your own. You know, oh, no, no, no. I mean, before you get up there. Once you're up there, we all know you're on your own. There's no, right. but there's no person behind the. the matter of fact, when I was there, I didn't even see any curtains to be behind. That's right. That's right. You know, they they provide you with a little bit of coaching. You know, so yeah, you have one or two coaching sessions where you're, you know, you're doing a dry run. You know, the day of the event, there's there's a a dry run on stage in the morning as well. Is there uh, an audience for that, so you get used to it, or is it just an empty? There room? isn't. No, there's there's no audience for that. Uh, so it's you know you 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 certainly get time to practice, but once you once you start the presentation, it's it's completely different, right? You you just have to be able to to reiterate the message from memory. Okay, and they do have a very hard stop, if I remember correctly. Big old yeah. buzzer. <laughs> yeah, buzzer at three minutes, and and there's no going on. Matter of fact, I believe they auto auto accelerate to the end of the slide deck too for you. I think so. Yeah. It was yeah. very strange to see that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no pressure. No pressure at all. No pressure at all. Yeah. Actually, some people came in under two under three minutes, which was actually good. Left a little bit more time for questions. So the judges don't ask simple questions either. They ask some pretty pointed questions. Did you get a surprise question out of the the list? No, I, I thought all of the questions were, were great. You know, I, I wouldn't say any of them caught us off guard. I, I think for, for the most part, you know, if, if you've talked to 100 customers over the last year, you've heard pretty much every question that you can think of and, and you're able to answer them. Uh, and they're all good questions. You know, not all, not all of them have an obvious solution, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's having, it's being aware of the problem, even if it's not easily solvable. Now, were you hit by one of those questions that wasn't easily solvable? I, I uh, got to admit, I missed your talk because I had to take a phone call. Sure. <laughs> I th well, I think I think uh, you know nothing. Nothing I recollect was that was that challenging. You know, there's a good security question around you know the fact that we Phantom uses open uh, playbooks that are Python based that we publish to the internet, so anyone can download them. You know, a good question from Paul Kocher on on. Uh, Security of those playbooks, you know, came up, and you know, right now, uh, it's it's like other open source, right? You can share these playbooks; they automate tasks that are in your environment, just like other IT automation tools like Puppet Chef or Ansible, but for security. And uh, you know, we want to make sure those are secure. And so the question was, how do you secure those playbooks? And you know, today uh, we we certify them, right? So they're Phantom certified playbooks that we make available. But in the future, we also want to digitally sign them. So that they're cryptographically signed and that nobody can tamper with them. Yeah, that's the whole. To me, there was a lot of um, debate at RSA this year about encryption versus everything else, given what's happening in the industry. Right. And I'm, I've, I've never been a big fan of encrypt everything. I'd rather digitally sign three quarters of it because it's far easier, and it's public information anyways. <laughs> so why encrypt it? Yeah. So digital that's... signatures. I, I kind of like that idea. It's actually very good. And if you had a public, a public, uh, private key that you could even sign on with, that would be very intriguing for um, consultants. 
That's right. To come up with their own playbooks for very specific verticals, like doctors' offices and/or lawyers and accountant firms have very different compliance requirements that have to be respect um, reflected into in these automation tools. Because once you violate those, now you're up, you're up a creek, right? Yeah, that that's a good point. You know, I think having other you know, other consultants or you know, communities create playbooks just for their constituents becomes very powerful because they may have different requirements around response. Um, as you mentioned, right, the, the, the compliance need to respond uh, effectively uh, is, is there. You know, for some, certainly some industries, you have to have a response plan or for some states, it's a requirement for different uh, authorities. Well, not only that, you may say, hey, I have a compliance, I missed a compliance issue, which is not a security issue per se, but for HIPAA, that could lead to a fine. That's right. Let's alleviate the money cost by solving all those problems as well as the security problems. And do, do your playbooks today help with that or is that a future direction? So what, what we're doing now is developing those playbooks for those you know, for those industries and for those scenarios. Uh, you know, the, the last two years has been developing the base platform that these playbooks can run on in a very scalable way. And now it's, it's all about the content, right? Building the content on top of that. So you're gonna have a phantom feed of content that you can pick and select from or, or what? That's the plan, yeah. Today mm -hmm. we already have these playbooks up on GitHub. So they're shareable. Uh, GitHub, for those who don't know, is, is a, an open source uh, repository site on the internet where people share source code. And we make our, our Phantom playbooks available there as well. Now, Phantom's closest to what from an automation perspective? Uh, you know, if you look at the general IT industry, you, you see technologies like Ansible, Chef, Puppet that are more DevOps oriented around automating deployment and virtual environments I would, say, I would say puppets been been around long before devops was a thought in someone's mind that's right that's it's, right it's the granddaddy of all the automation tools um, that i know of and so is chef for that matter they've been co-opted for this new movement in a way right are you so cl closest to puppet or are you closest to chef uh, I think we're we're probably closer to something like Ansible, okay. which is uh, more more orchestration based, right? I, I see Puppet and Chef as being, you know, let's get our infrastructures to a certain state, and do it very effectively by getting, you know, yeah. a specific instance of a system to a certain patch revision with a certain number of packages installed on it. Uh, security orchestration is a little bit different. Uh, because there's a decision-making component. You're not just getting systems to a state. You're, act you're actually reacting to a real-time threat where you have to look at uh, certain variables of that threat, like the IP address, the country the threat might be coming from, the severity, and make a decision based on those and pivot in your playbook to decide what to do next. Right? And that's, that's where things become really dynamic, is that there's a big dynamic nature when playbooks run that isn't there necessarily in standard DevOps types of technologies. Um, and I'd say that's, that's typically referred to as the decision-making process. You know, if you look at security as sensing, sense-making, decision-making, and acting, 
you, you've got all of your individual point products that are sensing. You have all of your analytics products like your, your SIM, Security Information Event Manager, that mm -hmm. are sense making. Next becomes decision making, which is your people, and you don't have enough of them, so you need to automate. And then acting, which is now reaching back down into those security products and, and making those changes. So I would say that typical IT DevOps is more specifically the acting piece, but security automation and orchestration is both decision making and acting, right? And then well, making changes. I think we're using DevOps in a, in a not so great way, to be honest. DevOps to me is nothing more than communication. It's the, a framework in which two parties can communicate. To me, agile is the doing. So right. in this case, Ansible is an orchestration platform that can involve a workflow that pulls in people. Once you pull in people, you start pulling in politics. Politics have almost nothing to do with security, but they seem to think they want to. When I look at it, I would rather have a policy, a policy set up for whatever and the anomalies brought to my attention so I can delve back in and, and make sure I don't have them or look at what, what I need to in each one of those tools. But the decision process of how to go and how to, for lack of a better word, um, what you would need to do for the court of law is really a political question. So if you were going to, oh, I found a breach and now what do I do? Do I do research to close it off or do I do research to go to the court of law? Right. Those are, that's a very political laden question, I would say. And that's where people become part of the problem and more than they become part of the fix. So you're making it easy for me to automate all my tools based on policy. But once I bring the people back in, are they even making the right decisions? What can you do to guide them to make the right decisions? Is your playbook have an incident response of here's a here's a wizard to go through, or is that even part of it? I, th I think as a whole, you know, we're we're getting there. Uh, today, it's you know one way I like to characterize it is we're we're good at dealing with known knowns. You know, these are attacks we know about. We know how to respond to them. They're ripe for automation, right? Things get, things get a lot trickier when you're dealing with the unknown attacks, which is typically where you're gonna have your more you know, senior analysts, like your tier two and your tier three analysts. So I think automation today is really good at dealing with the tier one analyst uh, uh, response, but we still have a way to go to get to the tier two and the tier three. I would agree with you there. I mean, some of the stuff is not easy to, to find. That's right. And some of it is fairly destructive as well. So what's the response to a destructive attack? You know, can it be done with a simple click of a mouse deploying more? Right. But that's where you're tying in IT ops and security ops together as one. So it's like, okay, let's, let's close it down and then let me go out and redeploy in a new location, a new EBS zone, for example, inside of Amazon which would be an interesting tie together. Yep. Yeah, let's start over and repave the environment because there's there's no way to recover what we had, right? Or, you know what, we found the problem, we fixed it in the infrastructure as code or the security as code, let's repave it with the brand new stuff. Right. Update the databases and away you go. You know. Yeah, so there's a whole concept called resilient regeneration, which is around 
you know, regeneration of the environment. And that's, you know, again, I, I think that's emerging. Uh, automation isn't quite there yet today, but if you it's an interesting concept. If you're following agile and containers, then yeah, actually it is there today. There's people using it all the time. I have an environment inside of my virtual environment that I can deploy within 10 seconds. Hundreds of VMs all running properly with the right security controls. I want to change a security control. I can literally delete it and re recreate it in minutes. Right. Which that's a big savings because now everything's identical. Now, if I did the right thing and had the right security agent inside of everything or plugged into the right security with inside the virtual environment that fed up to something your tool could actually look at and tie into all the different firewalls and everything like that, then I have an even stronger statement. Yeah. And I look at that as kind of like writing the security as code. It's kind of like what your playbooks are doing. Here's the security as code, how you tie all your systems together. Now, how do you handle a sandbox? So, for example, I may be... I lost... Excuse me. Sure. So, cam I mean, I'm, my camera's stuck. When I go through a sandbox, if I'm doing an automated testing, I want to deploy and respond almost identical to what I'm doing in production before I even hit production to see if I have any of these these issues. What do you see as, is that possible with your tool? Yeah, so in many cases, you know, the, the, certainly some of our customers have labs where they test uh, playbooks and the scenarios they're going to deploy before they actually roll out in production. You know, they're, they're uh, very careful. And so there's a staging environment where they'll test these playbooks before trusting them in their production environment. So we see that pretty regularly, okay. um, at least in the, in the larger customers. Um, but in other customers, you know, some of them are, are really cutting edge and innovative and, and they're, they're, they're literally, you know, growing so fast that they take uh, far, far fewer precautions and actually roll out, you know, early test playbooks in production without a lot of concern because they just need something working, right, versus just ignoring all of the alerts that they're seeing today. Well, and then they throw out that, then they have a chance to iterate on it fairly fast. Exactly. Like, they'll find out if it's not working, right? So that they know right away. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole agile thing. Throw it out, see if it works. That's right. That's why I mentioned the sandbox testing, because in a secure agile cloud development architecture, having sandbox testing and sandbox responses and the securities code being modified or the playbooks being modified to meet that requirement is a big plus, because you can do it all in, in an automated way without having it in production. But once it goes to production, I may have to suddenly fix it if I can't test it at scale well enough or did not understand the current security. Now, is there a set of tools that you guys generally don't work with or are you hitting all the big boys like you know the trends, the semantics, the IBMs of the world? Yeah, so we've integrated with roughly 40 different technologies today. And uh, you know some of those are are things like common sandboxes. So sandbox technologies to detonate files. Uh, they're virtual machine-based environments where you can test files to see if they're malicious. Uh, companies like Lastline, Anubis, Cyfort, Open Source Cuckoo 
is a is a free sandbox technology. Uh, ThreatGrid from Cisco. Um, others are endpoint tools like Carbon Black or CrowdStrike or Tanium. Uh, others include firewalls like Juniper, Cisco, uh, Palo Alto Networks, and those types of technologies. And we've integrated with 40 of those today, and we, we keep adding more. Um, our framework is open, so it's very easy for people to extend it and add new technologies almost every week. So we can, is there a community that people can put their own stuff into to add? Yes, yeah, so we're building that now. Uh, what we have today is we have a community edition of the Phantom platform that you can download on our website. So if you go to phantom.us uh, and register now, you can actually access the, uh, the free community edition of the product. And that gives you a, basically a, 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 a case management capability with a, a limited amount of automation. So we limit you to 100 actions per day. But for a smaller business, that's actually something they can still get, get value out of. Now define an action. An action would be one thing like blocking an IP address or disabling a user or geolocating an IP to find out what country is this person located in. And we support about 120 of these functions or actions today across the 40 products that we've integrated with uh, so far. And these are things that are common to analyst teams or security teams that they do every single day and that they would want to, uh, you know, to automate and get uh, you know, higher performance on of, of their security team and of their SOC in the form of playbooks, right? So playbooks are the high-level scripts that actually run these actions and automate uh, the activities within the security uh, operations center. So now, do you have a, do you have a feed to um, things like Splunk or Elasticsearch so that I could literally do that lookup, as you said, for a DNS entry and say, where is this new, is this old? And then I could feed that into my Elasticsearch or Splunk, and then I can, that would actually trundle up the stack to be another anomaly if something came up too soon. There's companies, other companies that do look at that data. So is all the automation, all the results of it is something that I can feed through syslog to somewhere else? It doesn't have to necessarily go to a sim because some sims can act on it and some sims cannot. Okay. So we, we integrate very well with, with Splunk, for example. Uh, you know, you can uh, integrate Splunk with Phantom and basically send, you know, from the Phantom uh, platform, uh, from the Splunk platform events into Phantom very easily. So if you if you're can using you go Splunk, the other way? Uh, we can pull from Splunk and mine it or hunt in the Splunk data store to see you know how many times has this address been seen. So we can it is bidirectional. Okay, um, we can it. either get triggered by Splunk to launch uh, automation or go hunting in Splunk for more evidence to enrich a security incident as well. How hard is it to tie into other to the IT ops? Um, automation because, for example, that whole I find a security incident, I just want to repave everything after fixing it. You know that may not be a bad approach for some some subset of customers. Yeah, and, and some of them want to do that. So you know, we had a customer that literally every time they got an alert or an infection on their endpoint from uh, Semantic, they would re-image the device. Uh, in that case, they would physically re-image it using. Windows uh, deployment services to actually physically cause the system to reboot, disable the boot partition, 
cause a new image to be loaded and installed on that endpoint. You know, that's that's how concerned they were. Uh, and so we've seen that in the past. Uh, we could certainly see people integrating in, in the future technologies like Puppet Chef and others to, you know, make sure that patches are installed and they're updated as well. Okay. So Ansible is, I mean, you, got, you, can, you can work with any of them because it's just a Python script. Yeah, it's adding an extension or an app. Uh, to the phantom platform you know and, and some of those exist today others you know are still to, are still to be developed that's where we're investing heavily right now so you have puppet and chef ansible or vagrant any of those four uh, actually we don't have any of them right now okay. yeah so we're not we haven't focused on that area what we focused on is purely the security products that are in your security environment firewalls ids's endpoint reputation services other cloud services that analysts use as well as uh you know uh, other you know other common security tools in the, in that list of 40. okay now how many of the cloud services do you work with like amazon and so forth uh today we haven't integrated with amazon yet uh, most of what we're doing is on-prem okay. so it's on-premise uh from a cloud standpoint you know we certainly have customers that have virtual private clouds where they can either run phantom or control devices up in the cloud, uh, but we haven't yet made the, the full leap from on-prem to cloud when it comes to orchestration. In many cases, our customers don't want to put an orchestrator in the cloud because if you think about it, we're connecting to their Cisco routers, we're connecting to their firewalls. They don't want the cloud controlling their, their physical network no, infrastructure. No, I was thinking about right? was on-prem controlling the cloud. So yeah. a hybrid cloud approach. That, that, for, that's definitely the right direction. Especially if you want, if you think about it, it's like if I'm going into Amazon, I might as well get CloudWatch and CloudTrails all pulled in as well and automated right. and things of that nature. This is all well and good. So um, where's the future of this technology? It seems pretty boundless, but... When you start thinking about everything out there, it seems like the future is only tools with APIs. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, fortunately, you know, I think anyone who builds a product today has an API. You know, we don't see we don't see vendors releasing products without APIs in most cases. So the the interesting thing is, you know, really building out the connector base, continuing to build the use cases in the form of playbooks. Uh, I'd say that you know this technology has a lot of promise. In, in fact, you know I, I've heard it called a whole new category in the security space, and I, I would agree. You know this type of a platform comes along very rarely uh, in the space, and you know it's very exciting because we're not just building yet another point product. We're actually making the existing investment that companies have in their existing security infrastructure even stronger, right? And that's 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 very powerful. That is. That's extremely powerful. And it's kind of boundless, but when you start thinking about the tools that people do use, some of them are pretty darn old. So how do you handle the older tools? Or do well, you? Yeah, that's, sometimes there's a tool we can't interact with. In some cases, you know, pretty much all of them do have a web interface, right? So worst case, you can actually log into the web interface and manipulate that using uh, you know, screen scraping, but in my, most cases, there's a command line interface or a REST API or something that we can connect to. Okay. Um, so it's pretty rare that we can't interface with a, with a product. So would you recommend Innovation Sandbox for other security companies? 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great experience. You know, I, I would say it's, uh, you know, it's certainly rewarding, even if you don't win. You know, the, I think all of the companies up there got a lot of recognition and they're all very high quality companies uh, and certainly something worth, worth entering. And not only that, this year, the, I go to the Innovation Sandbox every year. This year was um, a very diverse group of people or diverse groups of companies. You've had hardware companies, you had software only, you had a few anal an analytics company or two, even had an SDN company. It was kind of all over the map. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, we're just doing one thing this year. I mean, a couple times I've done that, but this one was very different. Now, another part of this is that you guys present in front of a bunch, you, you go to your stands, they get turned on when the, all the three minute sessions are done. And what happens then? Is it a case of you just looking what the audience has to question you about, or is it more than that? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's certainly a lot of people interested in hearing what your company does, right? Because, you know, all, all of us are still early stage security companies, right? And we're building something new. In, in many cases, you know, we don't have massive marketing budgets. So there's a lot of people who haven't heard of us yet. And uh, it's a good opportunity for people to come by and learn about what we do and, and see if we can help them. And I believe the judges, don't they also go by? They, they do go by, yeah. So we, we, we see them walking around and learning more about, about the companies as well. Okay. I mean, this is actually a pretty busy session then because you got 600 people in the room. Not all of them leave. Right. They start wandering around all the different, there's only 10 booths, so everybody's like split between them all. Yeah, it's a big group. It's a big group. But and then you have demos running, all, basically a continuous demo, I imagine. That's right. So what did you demo at your booth so people know? Uh, so we actually demoed a, a playbook, which took into account a, a relatively complex scenario where you had an infected endpoint, which was a virtual endpoint uh, that had a, a, a threat connection to the internet, a C2 connection, we call it, a command and control connection that was detected by an IDS system, which sent an event to Splunk, which in turn sent an event to Phantom to start automating a playbook. So what, what we got out of that from Splunk was an IP address of the infected system. At that point, we connected to VMware, found the matching VM, took a memory snapshot, ran a forensic tool on it, extracted the malware, did a reputation lookup to uh, reversing labs, reputation service, which told us whether the, the file was good or bad, got, got a response back. If it was bad, we would detonate the file in a sandbox like Cuckoo, Lastline, Anubis, ThreatGrid, Cyfort, get a response back. If it, if it was bad, confirmed to be bad at that point, we'd terminate the process on Tanium, Carbon Black, or CrowdStrike, and then file a trouble ticket in JIRA, ServiceNow, or send an email. And what that demonstrated was really the ability to tie together all of these disparate security processes into one playbook and ultimately reduce something that could take 30 to, 30 to 60 minutes down to just a couple of minutes, right? So that's where that's where the ROI really comes in and the ability to really show value quickly with this type of technology. Wonderful. And for people want Phantom, you can get the um, 100 actions per day at phantom.us. Just sign in, log in, and download, I guess. And all the playbooks are on GitHub. That's right. Very good. Um, 
now let's just speak generically about RSA conference. Did you have a lot of chance to go see anything at the show, or you were like busy dealing with old journalists and? <laughs> no, it was a good show. We we had a great you know great turnout at the booth, especially after the contest. Uh, we also announced a partnership with Splunk, where we were uh, you know part of their announcement rather, where they announced an adaptive response framework, which basically uh, was around responding automatically. So we were the, the orchestration partner for that announcement that they made with uh, seven other vendors who were more uh, individual point product vendors like firewalls and endpoint. Very good. Uh, so, so we had a great turnout. I'd say that you know, it, was, it was a success, success overall. I, I think the conference gets bigger every year and that's you know, certainly an indicator of, of the need for security. You know, our industry is continuing to grow which booth, which hall, I mean, I can't remember which hall you were in, north or south. Yeah, we, were, we were in the south hall uh, on the, you know, on the, I, I take pride in having a small booth because, you know, some, some, uh, some companies get a big booth, spend a lot of money. I, uh, you know, I, I, always, I always wonder if that's worth it. I'm not sure it is. The edges of the conference show floor is the first places the people in the know go. That's right. They're always looking for the new things. Busier than the middle, for sure. Well, the middle has all the all the, the well-known names. It's the ones you're you're looking for the the diamond in the rough at a at a um, at something like RSA, unless you have a specific need to go talk to an engineer or talk to someone about a particular product. Right. But I also noticed a huge amount of recruiting going on. Not only do is security a big deal, there is just not enough security people, in general. Like I saw signs saying we're hiring all yeah. over the conference show floor, which was rather intriguing this year. Makes it more for recruiting than anything else, which was rather a different way of looking at it. Normally, I don't go to a show to recruit or be recruited. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a shortage of you know at least a million people, if not if not more, and uh, an organization uh, called ISACA tracks that and believes that that's that's going to grow to two million people over the next few years that we need in this industry to be able to defend ourselves so that's that's an even stronger need for automation you know the time the time is right for this type of a technology oh absolutely it's and it's following in the footsteps of uh, what we've been doing in the IT ops area and the IT automation area for ages right and there have been recipes from Puppet and Chef to control firewalls and control things of that nature. So when you people come out, well, I'm already using those, what's your response to them? I mean, is what you're doing any better than what they've already done? Yeah, I think, I think the difference here is that those technologies are very narrowly focused, right? Nobody's actually looked at the broad spectrum of security products and integrated them. Right, it's it, it just hasn't been done over the last thirty years, uh, despite you know some attempts. Uh, Sixteen, seventeen years ago, when I was at uh, a former employer, we actually tried to do something like this. The difference was people only had a firewall, antivirus, and maybe endpoint, and that was it. Yeah, it's right? simpler. Uh, yeah, today you've got fifty products, and you 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 don't have an option. Right, you have to integrate. Cool. Now, are you tied into any of the other incident response tools? You said you were starting down the path of being able to do automated incident response or at least gather data. Right. 
Yeah, our, our platform natively does that as, you know, given our, our, our uh, architecture, we can, we can do uh, automated incident response simply by writing a playbook to do that. Does one exist? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have, you know, the one I explained about the endpoint uh, analysis, mm -hmm. for example, would be, would be one use case, right? Leveraging VMware, reversing labs, a sandbox, an endpoint technology, and a ticketing system. But is there a general one that just kind of says this is the workflow you should go through? Because threat response and incident response, some people are just confused on even the steps and they want to go through it themselves a few times so they understand it, so they understand what the data is at the other end. Right. Do any of these playbooks help people to learn how to do incident response? Well, they're a good guideline. You know, I think every what we find is that we, you know, we, while we do publish those playbooks, everyone will turn out customizing them a little bit for the organization, but they're there to get you started, right? So the public playbooks on, on GitHub are great use cases and examples, uh, and then you can customize those for your environment. Okay. That sounds cool. Yeah, it's exciting. Where, where, where are you guys off to next? Conference well, we're going to be at... Uh, at the FSISAC conference in uh, in Miami in May, and we're going to be at Black Hat in uh, Las Vegas in August. So those are the next two. So everybody look for Phantom there. And um, thank you very much, Oliver. It was a very good conversation. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Great, great talking with you as well. And everybody remember, Innovation Sandbox next year at RSA conference, if you have some security startups you that would be great if you just suggest that they go visit the site and sign up. You do have to have a product by the show, I believe. You do, yeah. And good to have good cus existing customers. Also, um, look for Phantom everywhere. We'll be there. Thank you. Thank you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.